Welcome to episode 437 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Righto, team, welcome along to episode 437 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm good. And you? Do you know what I heard about you? What? You're reading a book on Saturday morning. You stayed in bed I and you did. read a book. Yeah. Linda was quite happy about that. And she goes, do you know what John's doing? Because well, I was teaching a class, I was teaching Step John. I don't yeah. teach Step, I teach one Step class every three months. Yeah, and that was it. And the girls were there and I go, I go up and have a bit of a chat to them beforehand because that's what you do as a good instructor. And she goes, you know what John's doing right now? And I was like, no. And she goes, he's reading a book in bed. It's finishing off Gone Girl. Oh, no, but you didn't like it. I did not like it. And we're not going to talk about the book at all, but I would say if you do start reading it and you get annoyed with it in the first half, Give up. stick with it. Oh, so you, oh. I, I still didn't like it that much at the end, but you think it, was worth it, uh, it changes. It definitely does change. Just a little bit. I went to the film and saw it as well, but I knew the plot, obviously, and it was interesting going with some friends. And she said she has reminded you a few times how good life is without Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's good times. Okay, then Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by... Coffeesofhawaii.com. Oh, get that in your morning when you're, having your, you're reading your book. Yep, athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. And extreme endurance. Uh, you're like to both. Don't, don't spill that water on my computer. No, I won't. Yeah, bloody hell. Um, in this week's shows, guys, we've got some news. We've got a couple of interviews, actually. We've got one with a guy called Mark Evans. Who's yes, John? he's written a book called Tri- Triathletes in Motion. It's a big Assessing book. Assessing movement for world-class technique and performance. So, so oh, I suppose we'll do the interview, but it's obviously a pretty detailed kind of book. Yeah, he's pretty assessing things, isn't he? <laughs> uh, um, and then we've got another interview, and you say this name, John. Sarad al Khalifa. Khalifa, I think you did pretty well there. So you got us kind of, not roll, yeah. Sarad. I would get, get the rolling of the sort of, not there's no R in there, but it kind of sounds like a rolled R, I think, a bit. Mm, I have no idea. So he's the president of Triathlon Bahrain. And he's supposed to talk to us about what's going to be happening in Bahrain in the next couple of weeks and in the sport over there. And then we've got a few questions and answers at the end. We've got to rush John because I'm off to the races today. I know. What's your betting strategy? Put lots on the winner every right. time. Good. That's my Good. strategy. Yeah. You're, 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 what's, your, what, what's your strategy? Three and 12. Um, yeah, this that's year, not a strategy. That's a hope. What's a strategy? Uh, this year when I go to the races on Saturday, I am getting all my all my betting done. I'm going to walk in. And I'm going to commit from walking in, betting on every race, Two dollars each way on number three. And so 12. the first thing you go, you up to the booth. That's it. Start in there because every year I go and I have my strategy and I do it most races and then the races I just don't have time to go or to forget about it. Then That's three the and twelve comes coming. Uh, three and twelve. All what's the, the way. biggest win you've had at the races? Not very big. Did you hear about the guy there on the news? No. So a guy on the news last week. They had the Melbourne Cup, which is mm-hmm. Australia's big uh, racing event. Stops the nation. Stops the nation. <laughs> Did you bet on that? No. No. So um, a guy put a bet on for a trifecta, thought he won 8000 went to pick up his money, won 86000 Nice. That's a nice moment, isn't it? It is. He was pretty over the moon. Anyway, Jumbo, Iron Man. How did say that one? Fortaleza. Fortaleza happened last weekend, so, and uh, we got some results. So I think it was the first time it's been held down in Brazil, so the second Iron Man they've got there. Nico Lanos uh, was stomping away, looking like he was heading for a pretty easy victory. He had about a five-minute lead off the bike, and then uh, somewhat surprisingly faded on the run. So he had 
you know, he's got got to get some points from somewhere. So I guess that's why he's one of the reasons why he's racing there. If he wants to go back to Kona next year, only ran a three oh nine, so faded to second. And Gilherm Valenza from Brazil came through and took the win uh, with a 52 minute swim, 4.32 on the bike, 3.02 on the run for an 8.30, won by just about two minutes. Aniko held on for second and Tiago Venhal, also from Brazil, was in third, uh, a long way back, 20 minutes back in third place. Where was Rhodesy? Oh, Rhodesy finished ninth. down in ninth. Yeah, he got ninth. Well, oh, Rhodesy, come on, three for three thirty-five. Well, come on, he's getting a bit on. Oh, three thirty-five. Yeah, I suppose it must. It must have been pretty hot. If there's if there's only one dude going under three hours, there are some good athletes in Brazil. I suspect it may have been a little on the hot side. On the girls' side of things, you had uh, Haley Chirrut. Not surprisingly, leading out the swim, and was she? Hold on, I wonder if she was like almost first overall out of the water. She swam fifty-one fifty-two, and on the guys' side of things, Nico Lanos was fifty-one fifty-six. There was another guy who was third, fifty-one fifty-eight. Geez, I wonder if she led out the swim overall. Well, based she's, on what you're saying there, she's, she must have been up there. She must have been. There's nobody. They're all fifty-one fifty-two. I oh, know there was a guy, 49-49, Blazes Chok from Hungary. Good was, old 49-49. Uh, 49-49. So on the girls' side of things, you did have Hayley Chirrut take it out, leading from start to finish. She swam 51-52, biked 4.57, solid, ran 3.15, and for a finish of a 9.09 for a over-half-hour victory over Adrian Monticelli from Brazil and Jesse Donovan in third so massive victory well done well done um, we also had Florida I'm in Florida and so they cancelled the swim again did they? that was the week before <coughs> yeah when yeah. we were away so I don't know if they cancelled the swim again I don't know if they've, they have cancelled the swim there before but they did oh, yeah, okay. cancel Not the swim yet, but yeah. uh, and my prediction well not my prediction prediction prediction, prediction but, I, but I said look out for Lionel Sanders because he has tearing it up on the 70.3 circuit and he has transferred that across and to he dominated tearing Dojo. it up yeah Run by nearly 20 minutes. So they did a TT start, so ended up just being a... Uh, now, is he a good swimmer? Was that to his advantage? No, he's not a great swimmer, I don't think. Okay. Uh, so, so you never know. You, you kind of think that he won by... 20. 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, he's not a terrible swimmer, yep. but he's not a good swimmer. So he may get you know isolated at a, at a championship race, whether it be a 70.3 championship or, say, Kona. I don't know if he's good enough to make the main pack. But irrespective here, he just absolutely spanked it. And he ran a 2.44, so he's a very, very fast runner, but it sounded like he would, he'd already done the damage on the bike. Because Tom Lowe is no um, no slouch, and nor is Yuri Van Stallant, who finished in fourth place. Well, didn't Tom Lowe do like a 2.50? Yeah. Yeah. So, so very impressive. Um and he took a, it out. And then Yvonne took out the women's race? Yvonne took out the women's race in equally convincing fashion, if not more convincing. She won by 35 yeah, minutes. It's a domination. So Maybe we should have an official one. domination number. Let's say domination 20 minutes? Yeah. Yeah, 20 minutes you've dominated the dojo. It's mm-hmm. official now. Yeah. Okay, there we go. So in that case, Lionel Sanders did not quite dominate the dojo. <laughs> Wow, he was one minute under. You were one minute. One hey, minute. No, you're right. He did not dominate Jojo. He, he was, just had a great he performance. He was convincing. <laughs> he was convincing. So, got to be gutted if you went there and you were obviously wanting a really great Ironman time. But, geez, so many races these days are being affected by weather. Well, the thing is, in this race, although Yvonne dominated the dojo because she was over the 20-minute mark, you know, for Yvonne, who's not a strong swimmer, mm. you know, they must, in some ways, kind of be pretty happy about that. 
I think so. You know, like I tell you what, they're not going to be happy about the whopping twenty five thousand twenty five thousand dollars prize money. And that's across across both fields. Yeah, but having said that, you, you know that before it. you sign up, yeah. and, and for someone like Yvonne, who's who's got a you know a big kind of following and a, and a name. It looks good on sponsors. A win's a win, really, does. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and that's one of the things we learnt from from Kona, talking to guys like Tim Reed. You know, they're saying, yeah, you know, you, you look at the prize money you might get from a 70.3 win, but then you start totaling up all your bonuses for winning those races yeah. from your sponsors, you get a lot more from that, and that's how the guys are making a living. So you're exactly right. You know, Yvonne might go, well, screw this, I'm only going to win a few thousand dollars, but I might get another um, $10,000 in, in bonuses. So, yeah. Uh, did you say second and third? I did not. Uh, Rachel Jesterby was in second, and Michelle Abozarth was in third. Okay, and uh, probably probably the biggest piece of news, which everyone has probably heard about by now, but um, the unfortunate news of Jackie Fewweather slash Gallagher um, passing away. I know, and um, yeah, it was terrible news. I mean, we interviewed her on Legends, and I would at this point say go back and listen to that interview. It was it was a great. Fantastic. I actually went back and listened to it. Yeah, she was. It was an amazing interview. She was. Oh wow, she's she such a fascinating character, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, she was just onto it. You know, intellectually, she was just onto it, and she succeeded both in sports administration and in, in other areas. Um, as an athlete, she was just uh, an innovator and uh, and just uh, just dominating. You know, she was a world champion duathlon. She was a world champion triathlete um, and just a machine. And then she went on to you know uh, in her athletic career to running marathons. You know, amazing marathon times. So. A big loss for our sport, but I think again, it just highlights that you know she did take her own life, mm. and I think it just highlights that we've got to have our blinkers, take our blinkers off, and and you know if people are out there, you know you know need help, man. It's just a bloody sad part of life. Well, I think the other thing as well is is for the people who are listening to this who struggle with depression, because let's be honest, lots of people do, and in our sport we can kind of mask it because mm. you know we do this thing where. You know, like a lot of people who have depression more often do self-destructive things, whereas our sport gets portrayed as this really healthy thing. And um, and in some ways we can mask this depression in a way that, you know, the world doesn't see. Um, it's, it's hard, but, you know, if you can talk to people and get the mm. right kind of people around you, it's definitely a big thing to be talking about. And, um, it, you know, you don't have to do it by yourself and you can get help. Exactly. So very, very sad. Very sad. But, um, yeah, if you want to – if you haven't listened to that interview, guys – Go and listen to it because it is a good one and uh, can be your little one way of knowing a bit more about somebody who's no longer with us. Yeah, very sad. Um, Challenge Bahrain sells out with over a thousand age groupers. This is, I don't know if we should be surprised by this, but I think a lot of us were sitting back going, right, this is going to be a big pro race and yeah, uh, yeah. there's going to be, you know, a couple of hundred age groupers there. And But that sounds like they've done a great job. You know, they've got um, a th over a thousand age groupers signed up and that was their capacity. Um, and and uh, one thing, you know, coming out of Kona, I'm thinking that's just a really good number of athletes racing. Because one of the things that frustrated me about Kona is on the bike, it was just... It was just Mickey Mouse. Too many. It was just too many. And too many all together in one go. And it was just wasn't a lot of fun. Some people may have enjoyed that bike ride if you didn't have hundreds of people around you, but I certainly did not. Uh, and if you've got 1,000 people and if you break them into wave starts, then you're giving yourself a good opportunity that you can all have a fair, legit race. You're not going to have uh, packs of hundreds going through so good on them for, I guess for capping it at that number and, and, and based on the interview we have later on in today's show uh, it's a point to point race as well mm. is your phone ringing or is it my phone? that's your phone 
turn it off. Turn it off. No, it's my phone. Okay. My sim's not on. Huh? It's your phone. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> turn it off. Turn, turn it, it off. off. Um, yeah, so it's a point-to-point race as well, so it helps to avoid some of the drafting. Uh, we talk later on in the interview about the course, and it sounds like it's pretty fantastic. You're going through a zoo. You're going through a zoo. What's my phone? Oh. You're hearing things. You're going crazy. No, you heard it. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a pretty interesting course as well. And we talked about some of the names. Man, it is a stacked field. But I would say it's an Ironman stacked field. Uh, you don't have that many Olympic guys coming up. You know, if you had the Brownleys and all and all that coming across, I think they would absolutely dominate the Ironman athletes. But it's very much that people who have supported Challenge are going. You know, people like Marinda Carfrey, Sebastian Keenlay, Rachel Joyce, Caroline Steffen, Pete Jacobs, Jan Fredino. So it's going to be a spectacular race. Uh, and, yeah, I don't really know. Uh, it kind of depends what sort of shape people are in. John, I know I'm fast-forwarding a little bit here, but in the interview we do, drops a hint that there's going to be big news coming. Mm. Now... I'm not a betting man, but if I was a betting man, I'm pretty sure we could say, because we talked to Challenge and Kona. I hope you're a betting man today. Well, no, I'm, I am going to be betting. I'm betting big time. I'm a big spender. But um, talk to talk to Challenge and Kona. Mm-hmm. They said this is going to be a world championship event now. They've, mm-hmm. they've, you know, for years I'd always bug Felix and he'd go, oh, you always ask that question. And no, when, one day. Whereas now they're saying it's happening. Mm-hmm. That guy dropped a bit of a hint. Mm-hmm. Do we kind of say Bahrain's going to be world champs? Yeah, yeah, I would assume so. And uh, and what's going to make it, what's going to attract the field is if they stump up even more cash. Nadia so McLaren's birthday today. Nice. And Mark took it. Nice. You've got bloody notifications. You've got Facebook notifications. I don't on. know how to turn it off. If you can turn it off for me, do it. <laughs> I think I can. Yeah. I'll do that for you. I hate that stuff. <laughs> the captain's on my phone as well. I was like, I don't want, I, I'm a happy birthday, Nadia, but. <laughs> I don't interrupt my workflow, as Bevan would say. Uh, no, I'm excited about there being a massive money race and getting all the pros together in a, in a, in a, at, a, at a different race outside of Kona and good luck to them. Yeah, good times. In terms of it being a world championship for age groupers, that's going to be a big ask to, to get, you know, mass people from around the world to actually go there. And for do you think so, but do you think, because if we look historically at races, mm-hmm. you know, like, Definitely, Kona has a history, and, and Joe Baxter actually did an interview with Mark Allen when she was in Kona, and it was about if he were to take over Ironman, what would he do? And the first thing he said, well, never take the championship away from Kona, you know, because of the history and stuff. But, you know, we look at races like Nice, you know, mm-hmm. historically it's an amazing race, and then the money went and, and so did the race go. Does the history of itself, you know, if you get this race where you get all the pros and it's a rock star race, do you mm. think actually that will get a, end up getting a pretty stellar age group field if they set it up correctly? Because Challenge could create a system around it. They have enough races. Yeah. I don't know the, the answer, to be honest. I mean, it's, I think you know, if, one thing that worries me a little bit is, is a flat course. Do you want, do you want Google in your, in your, in your um, notifications? What do you mean? I'm just, just sorting out your notifications for you. Oh, uh, Bevan's on my computer, yeah. in case you didn't worry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, back to your question. You, you want Twitter? Question. You don't want Twitter, do you? No, I don't want Twitter. No, bugger off Twitter. No, bugger off Twitter. Yeah. Uh, back to what you're saying. Um, I don't know. I, I, the seventy point three seems to be gaining a lot of momentum in terms of having a yeah. world championships. Where was when they had it in Florida? It was like that was just a joke, but it was taking a few years. Uh, so what are they going to need to do it for for age groupers? Um, they need it to be a fair course. If they have massive drafting problems, I think people will shy away from it. Don't know. Yeah, do, do you? Because people don't shy away from Kona, and everyone knows about the drafting there. Mm. Like it's, it's the prestige of the race that draws people. It's not necessarily the course. 
I've, I haven't given enough thought, Bevan. Because I'm thinking if they're going to have a world championship, Challenge will have their own kind of system around qualification towards that world championship for mm. age groupers as well. Mm. You'd think. Yeah. Yeah. You'd think. Yeah. We'll see. Well, time will tell. Time will tell. That was an exciting topic. Sorry, I didn't have participate too much. Yeah, no, I, I kept asking hard questions. You, had, you didn't have the answers for once. I've got nothing. Okay, got well, nothing. it's basically Challenge Week this week because they've also got a new race coming up in the Middle East. They have announced Challenge uh, half distance Dubai yep. taking place in February the fifth, uh, 2015 so it's pretty shortly announced it is uh, and it's going to be like a, a week or two before the there's going to be a lot going on in, in the Middle East around that time there's going to be that and then there's going to be ITU coming to town in Abu Dhabi uh, maybe 10, 10 to 15 days afterwards so it's all go and yeah as we said last week we, we don't really know what was happening with the Abu Dhabi International Triathlon, but there's certainly a lot of other things going on. So uh, good on you, challenge. And we've also got Ironman Arizona. Ironman Arizona. And it's, it's no fun being on your computer, Bevan. i just got to find my way around. What are you Here looking we for? go. Oh, right. Okay. Here we go. My computer's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Yeah. So we have it coming up. It's a 2,000-point race, $75,000 prize money. The field comprises of the following. Uh, Paul Matthews, Jordan Rapp, Tim O'Donnell, Clement uh, Alonso, Victor Zemensev, Mike Twelsick, who had an 11th place in Kona, Kyle Buckingham, who was uh, the winner from... Kona the year before last is age grouper, fastest age grouper overall. Oh, yep. uh, but I think my pick, well, not my pick, but uh, somebody to certainly look out for is Brent McMahon is down there and he's a 70.3 rock star. And if he can get it right over the iron distance, he could do some serious damage. So I guess I'm going to be interested to see how he goes. And I'm also going to be interested to see how Tim O'Donnell goes backing up from a woeful Kona. Nice time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it interesting. Mm. Uh, it must be a bit of a bummer for Tim because Ben did so well because Tim was always the one that got the media attention yes. in America, wasn't he? Yeah. And uh, and I'm sure, you know, he's had some great results outside of Kona. And I think last year he didn't get fifth or he got Something, top ten. Like yeah, he did pretty yeah. well last year. Um, but now that attention will go away from him. And I'm sure financially it comes at a cost. Mm. Yeah, so. But luckily he's got a wife who's doing okay. She's probably bringing in baked beans. Yes. And then on the guy, uh, girl side of things, again, someone who did not have a great Kona, Meredith Kessler, who was uh, – I actually watched Kona coverage last night. Um, Australia, <coughs> in Australia, they had the Aussie version of the Kona coverage, which is NBC version, without the sob stories, with Greg Welsh and McKaylee Jones – not McKaylee Jones, uh, Paula Newby Fraser doing the commentary. So Was it good? Yeah, it was, it was good. Um, Do you miss the sob stories? Uh, they had Sean in there, which is oh, that's uh, an obvious one. That's pretty, yeah, pretty pretty full on. Um, no, <laughs> not really, no. But it certainly shortens it down. <laughs> it, was, it was a five minute show. Uh, it was yeah, it was only probably forty minutes. I did it while I was on the trainer, forty to maximum forty five minutes. But Meredith Kessler is coming off a you know she was going into Kona as one of the contenders, potential winners. She had an amazing front half of this year and then failed to fire in Kona for whatever, whatever reason. But she is there and she's seated number one. You've got Amanda Stevens and then Lusa Holthria from Austria, who is popular, uh, unpopular in some parts. Um, she has had some amazing iron or half distance races and some amazing iron races. So I think I think it'll be a battle between Lisa and Meredith. But if Meredith can refine that form that she had in the front half of the year, she is going to crush it. Okay, we've got this week's discussion of the week, and we didn't do one last week, but we have got one for this week. And the question is: for those of you who have raced Kona, um, what makes Kona so much harder than any other Ironman? Is that a true statement? Well. 
why do so many people blow up there? I guess maybe we could rephrase it. What makes it harder and why do so many people explode over there? Okay. You know, and we, when you go to Kona, you've got the best athletes in the world there, but such a tiny percentage seem to have a good race mm. and so many just explode out there. And uh, yeah, so for, if you, as, as for the people that have been to Kona, if you've been there, whether it be this year or other years, what makes it so much harder um, and why do so many people blow up there that have clearly not blown up at other races because you've had to qualify to get there? Okay, but time sponsor. I, I actually opened a page for you. Oh, thanks. That's yeah, good of you. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's all right. We've got a random age, a, a random age grouper this week, and I think he's listening to the show because I think I called him Charles All Black Nickel. But nice. I, basically, oh, you've opened the page, but it hasn't opened properly. Oh, just do it again. Oh, okay. Um, so what I basically did was I thought, Going to the Kona um, results on Athlinks from last year, 2013, and I'll sort of, instead of looking at the guys on the front page, the top, top guys, I'll look at the guys that are maybe on the second page and see, you know, see what sort of standard they're at. And so I came across Charles Nickel. He sort of came up, I think I looked, 200, between 200 and 300 uh, in terms of the placings. That's still pretty good. That's still pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's a really good local triathlete, isn't it? So Yeah, so I was trying to paint a picture of, right, if you want to be... A, you know, towards the top of your age group, as Charles obviously was, um, what sort of times you would need to do at r- other races around the world? So if we look at, I've got um, Charles here. So if we look at Ironman Kens, he did a 9.53. Nice. Um, that was that, that was actually after the World Championships, but he did Asia, he did Asia sp- uh, sp- uh, Pacific, sorry, Melbourne. Asia Pacific. That's right. He was very specific about that race. But there was, there was a, this one, one where this one was a bit short. Because they did eight fifty one there. Yeah, that was when they cut the swim in, in half. I mean, Australia Port Macquarie. He did a nine fifty two, um, and that was in two thousand and twelve. He's done a lot of races, jeepers creepers. Although the year before, he's obviously proved quite a lot. The Port Macquarie, he did two ten fifty nine. So, so he's, he's in the forty five age group, and so he's basically banging out those sub ten hour races to make sure that he can qualify. In two thousand and seven, he did Ironman Forrester. Forster, yeah, yeah, and he did eleven oh eight. So he's progressed quite a lot. So look, two thousand and seven came over to Wanaka eleven thirty seven. Yeah, yeah, did two two thousand eleven. So he's um he's done pretty well, really, isn't he? He's really progressed, and to the point where we got to the World Championships, and he did a sub ten in the World Championships, which is pretty good considering that most of his other times are around that nine fifty mark. Mm. So to go to World Champs, and he he obviously pulled off a sharp day. A, you know, high level performance for himself on race days. So, mate, this guy's a rock star. Charles, if it is the right Charles, all black nickel. I think I'm pretty sure it is. called him all black because in his Athlinks picture, he is wearing all black. Looks like a, but he's got pretty big shoulders too, isn't he? Yeah, guns, got some big guns going could on. Be a, so, could be a I, centre. Guess, I guess my point here is, is you know, if you want to see what it's like to what sort of standard you need to be at for Kona, um, go check out on Athlinks, um, find some people in your age group. And, and for people in, like in Charles' instance, you know, see the progression that they've made. So, if you're currently an 11 hour athlete, you know, don't give up hope that you can get to that sub 10. You know, I think you'll find there's a huge amount of examples of people who have made it to Kona who have started and been a lot slower, but they've sort of hung, hung in there for a number of years and made it. So do your research on athletics.com and well, find John, out. Well, John, he actually won the Sir Chimlay. Chimlay has it? Tree Chimlay. Tree Chimlay. Uh, triathlon Festival. Nice. And he won his age group in that in Canberra back in 2011. So he's a winner. Nice. He's a winner. You're Good a winner. Stuff. You're a winner. I, played, I did a volleyball tournament years ago. With um, my sister's boyfriend, a guy named Dan, and Dan was a, fair to say a bit of a poser. Mm-hmm. And the only reason he wanted to tournament, and he, all he wanted to do was to win, because the t-shirt had winner written on it. Oh, nice. And he was quite serious. He was like, mate, if you have a t-shirt with a winner on it, you're cool. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, 
you can make your own, buddy. I was like, you're a bit of a dork. <laughs> <laughs> okay, John, but we've got an, we've got an interview. The name is? Oh, you'll hear about it in a moment. I think I got it right when I did my intro, so you'll just, just, just wait and see. Here comes all about Bahrain. Here we go. Right, uh, we have Challenge Bahrain coming up in a few weeks' time, and so we thought we would get the scoop on what the hell's actually happening in Bahrain in terms of uh, triathlon, because most of us from these western parts don't really know too much about the Middle East if we haven't been there, so we've got the president of the Tri-Association of Bahrain. I'm going to completely get the pronunciation of his name incorrect, but I'll give it a go. Sagad Al-Khalifa um, on the show, yes. so welcome along. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm very happy to be talking to you guys. Um, as I said, you know, most of us who haven't been to the Middle East have absolutely no idea, A, of the, the landscape over there um, and, and really of what sport is like. You know, we see lots of not necessarily good things on the news sometimes from different parts of the Middle East. Um, can you maybe explain to us just a, a brief history of, of how long triathlons actually been in operation in Bahrain and, and where you're at now? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, triathlon has been here in Bahrain for quite a while. I mean, Bahrain, um, we had uh, the British come over to Bahrain, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago, and they were here. Uh, so, they, you know, the, li- the, so the lifestyle was incorporated, you know, the Western lifestyle was in Bahrain for quite a while. And not a lot of people know this, but Bahrain annual marathon is is longer than London Marathon. It's the longest in this part of the world, uh, running marathon, and was actually initiated by the British who lived in this part of the world uh, many, many years ago. So in the 80s, you know, we do have older photos of, you know, a triathlon here and there, maybe once every couple of years. But that's just in the history. It only started kicking... Um, you know, it's it's uh, I'd, I'd say around 2000 and 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 uh, and eight uh, forwards became more like annual, and more people started uh, more local started engaging in triathlon since then. What? Why 2008? I would say that's the period that I started, you know, um, doing triathlon. And that's when I started noticing myself, the growth, because it was, you know, local triathlons, but the it was just mainly, you know, targeted towards the expat communities. But then when I, you know, the next year and the next year, so 2008, 2009 and 10 and so on, we started, you know, just, you know, exponentially increased in the local community. Okay. So do you have many races now or not? Yeah, yeah, we do have, uh, you know, um, our season starts uh, somewhere around October and goes up to um, the end of May of each year. And that's the, you know, that's when this, the uh, sort of just between January and February is where we, uh, maybe December, January, and February is where we don't do swimming, uh, just basically like duathlons and stuff. But mm. Um, but we do have uh, different uh, societies, uh, organizations, uh, local organizations that do organize um, triathlons, whether they're sprint distances, Olympic distances, and so on. Mm. What's it like to train there? 
Well, actually, this is where we think that we can maximize our returns and 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 having facilities, training facilities. Um, uh, we think that Bahrain is is one of the best locations in the world to have a training facility here for triathlon because because of the weather that during the winter time um, it is really ideal uh, to to re- to locate to Bahrain because the weather here is just perfect for training for outdoor the outdoors is amazing and uh, when it's when it's really miserable in Europe and and and, and in the US and elsewhere so i think this is where we're going to be i think in the future uh, this is where we we will be investing is to have facilities to have people from all around the world and another thing i mean i know it's a, it's a bit far away from from australia but when when you have a lot of people in europe uh, moving to Asia so they can train during the winter time. Bahrain is even closer to them, and it's more affordable as well to to come to Bahrain and train over here. And, and obviously, you got the the challenge race coming up. Um, we like to think, you know, triathlons this massive sport that's going to get lots of media coverage. Is it getting much of the mainstream media coverage, given it's going to be, you know, a pretty important race? Yeah, I think. I think the media is going to cover Bahrain pretty well. We invested a lot in our global marketing so we can bring the attention uh, to challenge Bahrain. And and that had uh, good returns in terms of the, our exposure internationally. And, you know, um, so uh, we, we do have relations with, a, with a, you know, the, through the challenge family with a few specific um, important that we think um, uh, media outlets that we've, extended the invitation to them but it was not limited to the, to these guys it was um there are a lot of requests that are coming in uh from around the world to come and cover the race because what's attractive about the half distance is that it is appealing for um the Olymp- those who are good in the olympic distance and the standard distance and as well as the endurance distance so they meet up in in um, and and the uh, and the half distance and I think even though Challenge Bahrain will be more like uh, you know usually people look at the male um, uh, category the professional males who are racing each other I think to me the prof- if you look at the professional females who are coming to Bahrain that can be even more interesting than professional males. Mm. How how did the the race sort of pan out in terms of becoming a challenge event you know, was it was it your vision was it the prince's vision did challenge come to you guys how did how did the um, the ball get rolling well you see the thing is um, we want triathlon not to be a business but to be something that we use to um, reach to um, to our goals in terms of Promoting a better, healthier lifestyle for for Bahrainis, for, for for people who live in the GCC and so on. And but I think it played out. Uh, you know, when we started searching for a lot of different, um, you know, um, triathlons that we want to, uh, and people who, and organizations that organize triathlons, we found and we clicked uh, mostly with Challenge because um, I think Challenge is going through a phase that challenge family are going through a very positive phase of of saying of being very inclusive and not exclusive 
and that's the inclusivity is what we think is where we clicked with them, you know, and um, that we can basically promote Bahrain internationally. That's one of our goals uh, and strategies. Also to spread triathlon locally. That's also one of our goals and strategies. I think it, it was in the Philippines, actually, when we found that challenge family was actually very well. When um, we used Philippines to train for for a full distance, like an Ironman that we wanted to do in South Africa. And that was pretty hilly. So we were like, oh, you know, it's, it fits in our program. It's hilly. It's good. Let's go and do the Challenge Philippines. And once we went there, uh, it was at the ceremony when we noticed that they, they had a specific category for Philippines. And then they had another category for the, reg- for the region. And then they had another category for professionals. And then we're like, well, you know, let's think about it. What's going on? What's good? What's this? And specifically the guys who were running Challenge Philippines, when we approached them, they were like, you know, we usually go to places and, you know, we get this. Um, they, used to, they, they tell us, well, uh, you, you want to enter as a VIP. It's going to cost you this much. But when we went to the Philippines, Challenge family were like, oh, you're going to enter as VIPs. Uh, what do you want from us? I'm like, what? No, what do you want from us? And they're like, no, no, you're the ones who are coming to us. You will help our race. We are privileged and honored to have you. What do you want? I'm like, well, we don't want it. We just want to come and enjoy ourselves. They're like, well, welcome. So I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty different. Nice. And um, in, in terms of, obviously, you know, I know that you talk about the race being inclusive and it's, you know, you've got your objectives. Obviously, one of the big reasons why it's getting so much coverage is, you know, the big prize purse for the professionals. So, in terms of um, the bankrolling of the operation, is it is it sort of the the royal family bankrolling it, or do you have um, standalone businesses that are that are sponsoring the event? Well, whatever it is, it's an investment. Um, it's it's basically um, um, all we needed to do was to tell the important um, uh, organizations are uh, in Bahrain, whether they are semi-government, government, um, royal family, whoever they are, uh, we tell them that this is our model. We want to do something for the society of Bahrain. We want to do this. We want to promote Bahrain. We want to start, you know, bringing people here. And it was very easy to, um, to convince them because everyone wanted to do something. All of these people... You know, the big mega companies wanted to do something for Bahrain. But specifically, the driver, uh, the driving force behind this is His Highness Sheikh Nasser. He wants more than anyone else with the support of His Majesty to do something like this for the government of Bahrain. I mean, you know, just like any other investment, um, if it's financial, it might not have its financial returns uh, for a while. But from day one, the investment that we're doing is is that they're doing is is investing in their own people, and when you're looking at the returns in terms of people satisfaction, uh, people getting engaged locally, um, and you know the, the the different sectors in Bahrain benefiting in terms of tourism, in terms of um, education, in terms of of whatever it is. Then, then from day one, there is no 
that it, you know all the investment has maxim has already maximized its return. Well, I was um, in Kona a few weeks ago and I was talking to Maka and he was talking about the prince saying he's a bit of a crazy athlete himself uh, and he was telling me about this this epic swim that he did. Maybe you want to share a little bit about the prince's kind of athletic endeavours. Yeah, it's it's um, you know we have we have His Highness Sheikh Nasser and, and His Highness Sheikh Khalid. Sheikh Khalid did a swim um, from Saudi Arabia to Bahrain, and, and that was, I mean, he's not a he's not a professional swimmer, you know, yeah. and and doing that swim, twenty one hours training for only ten hours, but you know yeah. being ready for ten hours and then ending up doing it for twenty one hours is. It was out of this world. We didn't expect anything that, you know, it was it was really, really something very unique. Um, Sheikh Nasser and Sheikh Khaled, they're both into um, endurance races, into horse racing since they were kids, um, into athletics. Uh, but more, mostly, I think it's, 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 you know, just doing something and engaging with everyone in Bahrain, all the the society is is just a, has a lot of leadership qualities into it. To you know, um, not basically talk the talk, but to walk the walk. And and I think it it, it is it is uh, the way I see it. It's it's born out of the um, out of out of the leadership qualities by His Majesty the King of Bahrain, uh, being a you know, a military, uh, uh, military educated in in UK, and then coming to Bahrain and understand that there are leadership qualities that you need to, you know, lead by example, and then um, giving this back to His Highness, um, His Royal Highness the Crown Prince, and then His Highness, you know, Sheikh Nasser and his brother Sheikh Khalid, and uh, and all of these um, wonderful personnel that we have who are leading us in this country into uh, and making Bahrain really this small island, very um, unique amongst uh, all the different countries in this part of the world, this part of the region, um, is, is, you know, I think we're very lucky to have it. So, so maybe tell us a bit about the, um, the challenge course. Is it, um, from my understanding, it's pretty, pretty flat, but is there any unique parts of the course that you can maybe share? Well, if in the organisation um perspective it's very tiring because we are going to close off the whole country for this for 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 challenge bahrain and the reason why is because we want literally to do a very interesting course we want to start somewhere and end somewhere else somewhere else so logistically there there is a lot of a lot a lot of work in the background that we have we have to do to mass to master this course it is flat, yeah, but I think it's going to be, you know, very interesting. You, you no one, you're not going to pass by any part twice. Uh, you know, it's it, it's it's uh, you're just going to pass by the city, pass by a diff, you know, two bridges, leave the city, leave the you know all this, um, uh, all these very nice pro- mega projects and buildings that 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 uh, Bahrain has recently seen. Um, uh, constructed and then go to the past, go to the history, go through, um, uh, you know, what really made Bahrain uh, be in the history history books of of uh, of the world. 
of uh, you know uh, 4000 years ago when people start, believed that Bahrain was heaven so they used to uh, ship their deceased uh, to Bahrain and bury them here so we have the largest um, burial mounds in the world the largest graveyard in the world uh, here in Bahrain historic and uh, and then go to uh, the run would go through a zoo actually mm-hmm. one of the like a wildlife and reservation running uh, you know between animals between uh, you know <coughs> next to the giraffe next to the ostriches and <coughs> then back to the formula 1 which is uh, uh, one of the best formula 1 circuits um, in the world it was uh, and the, this mega project was done in 18 months only mm. uh, so it's it's a, so the, yeah it's it's a flat course it's fast it's it's going to be um, very easy for beginners as well but it's very interesting and and I think we if 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 all planets uh, line up well uh, I think uh, we might have a sprint finish and mm. we might have a world record here in Bahrain. Nice. Um, so you've obviously lived in the States, so you, you understand you know, what it's like living and probably racing in America. For people that are either coming to Bahrain this year or they're looking at coming in future years, what are some of the cultural differences that you know, people need to be aware of and, and respect, or, or is it not really a big deal in terms of what you can wear, in terms of what <clears throat> females can do, um, in terms of alcohol and things like that? So maybe give us your, your Lonely Planet guide to coming to Bahrain and racing. Yeah. Bahrain is, is a melting pot. It has always been like that. It's, we have more than a 135 different nationalities um, who um, live in Bahrain and, and consider Bahrain as their second home. So it's not going to be very different, to be honest. But different, yeah, but not very different. It's not going to be... I mean, when I went to the U.S., yeah, I got a cultural shock. But, you know, a very, you know, uh, big cultural shock because I went from Bahrain to Charleston, South Carolina, living in a military barracks. And, you know, and that's my... And it was in, in the South. Yeah. And, uh, and it was... That's that's a bit different. But, you know... But I guess those who are traveling to Bahrain have already traveled to different... You know, most... You know, I, my guess is that they've already been traveling. Um, if it's the professionals, yeah, they've already been traveling. So that's not a... And, uh, you know, if they if they went to Europe before, they'd be good. They'd be okay um, uh, traveling to Bahrain. But if they have never left the U.S. or never left Europe before or Australia, then what they will see in Bahrain, the first thing they will see is that they will see a w- welcoming um, the citizens of Bahrain. They will see we are we pride ourselves in into um, uh, in hospitality uh, into welcoming people. They they would, you know, uh, obviously they have the internet and they have TV and, <laughs> uh, you know, and they've seen a lot of stuff over there. But once they come and land in Bahrain, they'd see, they'd see something that I think they would understand why Bahrain was voted by expats um, survey that they, this is the second and uh, sometimes third best country to live in in the world. And... Uh, you know, because we we adapt ourselves, we uh, we accept others, we accept 
uh, other cultures and uh, and and we don't force our culture even though it's right next to um, different countries um, who uh, are very um, I'd say conservative but uh, being you know we're very unique we can we can just uh, uh, show that how 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 uh, people can live here and and uh, enjoy themselves and practice their own culture in Bahrain. Any other things you just want to mention about the race or um, about Bahrain that before we kind of wrap it up? Well, I you know I think um, the the race in Bahrain um, when 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 they come here they would have to look very closely into why what we are trying to do out of challenge bahrain in the future and if it you know uh, they hear sometimes in the future maybe january or february or end of december maybe um if they hear something about um a decision that we've made and how we evolve this challenge Bahrain into something very unique, then they shouldn't be surprised because we're investing a lot. We want this sport to grow. We want to be attracting people. We want to be inclusive. We want to do a lot of things. We have big plans. So not don't be shocked. Don't be surprised <laughs> when you hear good news around the corner. Um, and it's good, exciting news. So anyone who likes triathlon, they should be excited about Bahrain, and they should be waiting for good um, news in the future. Oh, you, got, you got us thinking. Yeah, no, we're looking forward <laughs> to it. We know you've got uh, you know an amazing field lined up. Uh, so yeah, your predictions of a sprint finish, I think, uh, fairly well founded. So um, we look forward to the race coming up in December. And will you be racing yourself? Uh, no, no. Uh, I, I, I want to race, but I think it's exciting <laughs> to, to, to look at uh, Jan Fredino and Keenly uh, maybe sprinting in the finish. I don't know. Yeah. It's going to be more exciting looking at Jody Stimson yeah. and, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, Caroline Stephan and Rachel Joyce and, uh, and of course, you know, uh, 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 you know, maybe Melissa Horshield, I don't know, and, and others as well, but I think they will be the ones sprinting in the finish. Awesome. Mm. Okay, well, thanks so much for doing uh, good things for the sport in your area, and, yeah, we certainly look forward to the race coming up, and uh, thanks for your oh, time sorry. today. Oh, sorry, Miranda, Miranda Carfrey as well. Oh, she, she, who, who's she? Who's yeah. she? I mean, God. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, of course. Thanks very much. Very much enjoyed it. Thank you. Interesting stuff. It is. I'd like to get over there. Come on, Prince, if you're listening. Yeah, we're great media. Best yeah, media in the world. Best media. I'll come and do your race next year, December. Yeah, oh, Shout really? Family. Really? But I, thought, I thought life was so much better without our triathlon. But, uh, well, I'll tell you what, I think Belinda, if, if they put us up in the Royal Palace or she, something she like that, happy with that, Belinda would be okay she, with she'd that. She'd persevere. Yeah, she would hang tough. <laughs> I do think, I do think, I wouldn't be surprised if the World Championships get announced there. Um, what would be they, interesting I, to see what kind of package they put together. And when would they do it? I guess I I I just like to see a, a race with all the rock stars in there. How many world championships can you have? You know, can we, we've got Kona World Championships, you've got the ITU World Championships. It'll be Long a self self proclaimed. It'll be a self proclaimed world championships. Um, but so is Kona. It is. 
I know, I know it is the world championships. I know that the um, pedigree there is the world championships, but, but we'll just call it the challenge championship. Well, they probably will. Yeah. They probably just, will. Yeah. That's just, that's what doesn't sit. It just if sits it, funny a, with me. If it was a million dollar race, mm. a million dollar win, mm. million dollar win, Gomez, do you reckon it'd turn up? Hell yeah. Do you reckon the Brownleys would turn up? Yeah. See, see, I mean, those guys make if, big money, but they don't make a, a million off one race. So if they made a million off one race, and you've got Brownleys, and yeah, you, top IU to you guys thinking, bugger this, I'm going to have a shot, mm. is that better than Kona? Uh, like, is that more better world championship? It's just different. I th- it's going to become a running, I'm, I'm sure this is just going to become a running race, and that's probably what concerns me slightly. It's going to be interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Like, if, I, I, I doubt they're going to have a million dollar prize purse, but it'd be awesome if, just yeah. for the win if they did. If they doubled it and went up to a million in total. total yeah, like I'm sure it's going to be. Like I'm sure they're going to hit it out of the park for prize money. Mm. A million for the winner. Interesting. If it does, I think it's going to be pretty cool for the sport. It'd be amazing. Um, that would start to get some proper yeah PR mainstream yeah. media coverage. Like a jumbo sponsor. Coffee's away. I love I love coffee, John. I love coffee. So do I. <laughs> nice. Uh, and I, this is one of the posts that I had sent through. And seven things runners should what know about coffee. What number are you up to? I'm, up, I'm doing number three and four this week. Okay, go for it. Too much. T- too much. Do not do more to improve performance. Yeah, John. A typo there. It's not your reading. No, it's not. That is terrible. Who who proofed that? <laughs> Studies show that about three to six milligrams of caffeine per kilogram of body weight is all you need to see any benefits. So a 150-pound person needs a 12-ounce coffee to get the right amount of caffeine. So it's not a huge amount, is it? No. Number four, coffee boosts your desire to run. Does it get, to get the runs or...? Caffeine boosts your mental alertness, improves your mood, and boosts your desire to run hard. So caffeine makes running fast feel easier and increases the concentration of endorphins in the brain. John. So if you're struggling, if you're sitting there going, really need want to go for a run today, grab yourself a cup of coffees of Hawaii, and uh, that will give you the nice little boost that you need to get out the door. Well, you could also, any other coffee in the world does not do actually, it. Actually, th- these facts are about coffees of Hawaii. Yes. Not just coffee. Yeah. Coffees of Hawaii. And it gives you that feeling like you're in Kona, and you're going to be out there and crushing it. This is my whole problem in Kona. I didn't have... Coffees of Y in the morning, and I didn't have it during the race. Amateur. Otherwise, Rennie was going down. Oh, I, I believe you. Yeah. That was when you made your mistake. You didn't put that in your race report. I know. Oh, man. Apologies, Coffees of Y. So go to coffeesofhawaii.com, check out all the different coffee ranges. It's a good idea if you are new to the Coffees of Hawaii, is to do one of the packs where they've got a few different options so you can get an idea of the flavors that you're going to like. Get it home, taste it, you'll absolutely love it, and then you can do a recurring delivery so it turns up every so often, and you're always going to have your Coffees of Hawaii in, there you go. in the morning when you wake up or when you go for a run. Nice. Okay, Jombo, so now we're going to put another interview on and maybe tell us a little bit about this one. So we've got uh, Mark Evans coming up who has written the book Triathletes in Motion and we're going to hear all about that and it's going to be, from my understanding, going to be talking a lot about core stability, about movement patterns um, and just making biomechanics, making sure you are set up properly to not just run. Often we talk about this running, but I think he's taking a very holistic approach to it all. So we're going to hear from Mark all about that. Here we go. Here's Mark. Okay, so 
As I said in the intro, we've got uh, Mark Evans on today. He's the author of Triathletes in Motion and one of the original triathlon coaches as well who's been around uh, for a long time involved in the sport. On the cover of the book, we've got Javier Gomez, who's one of the best um, movers in our sport. And um, we're just going to find out a bit more about it from Mark. So welcome along to the show, Mark. Thank you so much. Really Uh, great pleasure to be on. I'm really keen to to hear what motivated you motivated you for this book because it's it's not a you know a training bible type book which is going to tell you you know how much swimming biking and running you need to do you know it's much more seems to be about movement patterns stability strength um, so maybe tell us a bit about you know why you've done this book and your motivation to do it. Well, it's it uh, you know it goes back almost thirty plus years where, uh, you know, I started doing uh, group training of some pretty talented athletes in the 80s. And um, for some reason, I was, I was always drawn towards uh, technique and efficiency and feeling a little bit uncomfortable about the principle of, of I didn't even know it was so much then, but an individualization of how you take one athlete over another and help them improve their efficiency. So it was always in the background for me that, that I was interested in, in how an athlete moved. But it was primarily initially after the first four or five years of, of coaching and delving into the sports science and biomechanics of what was available then that uh, the individualization aspect of how a person moves and how effective that transfers to performance was was always just something that I was was part of. And um, recently, I had a sit down with my friend Joe Frio, who's came out and visited me in my place at, in Northern California in the late '80s or mid '80s. And he said, "I want to do what you do out in Colorado." And but it ended up he he went into the data side of things, and I always shifted more into the, you know, the movement and technique kinds of things. And, and um, that is really the genesis of the motivation. It took me probably 20 years to really collect the information to write this kind of book. And the book took me over four years of work. So is, is it more pitched at, um, you know, individual athletes or is, you know, because within the book there's a lot of, tools you can use to do assessments, you know, self-assessments on, you know, um, flexibility, on strength, etc. Are you pitching it more at coaches and practitioners than you are the individuals, or have you tried to make it, you know, fairly all-encompassing? Well, first and foremost, the motivation was for coaches, because I felt that movement evaluation, the uh, process of of uh, developing better athletes really starts, begins at that point. Um, you can't, uh, one of the frustrations I had as a, as a group coach in the 80s was you, you, you try to tell people to move a certain way, but if you don't know their underlying movement patterns, then it, or stability or mobility, but to answer your question, it was for coaches primarily because I felt that there was a missing element or is a missing element. And I kind of refer to this as a paradigm shift. And 
But that being said, the self-coached athlete can certainly go through these tests. Um, and we have three different levels of, of tests that assess seven body segments. And the unique thing about it is that the tests all have corrective exercises that can be fairly easily understood to assess muscle imbalances, correct those contributing weaknesses, uh, maybe in their alignment, or that will ultimately help technique and ultimately help coaches, help the coaches get their athletes to do what they're asking them to do. And that's really the the educational side of it where I'm shifting from being a coach for all these years to more of an educator to help coaches and athletes improve alignment and uh, like improve control and awareness and go back to that individualization principle where um, the more stability you have, the better your mobility and the better your potential for technique. And uh, that's, that's really the, the idea. In the book, there seems to be some really good assessment tools uh, for identifying areas to work on for the individual athlete. Uh, are there any dangers in self-assessing these, or you know, do you really want to make sure you've got a coach beside you as you go through this process? Dangers. Um, you know, I think the way that we we categorized and developed the tests and the remedies, uh, they're so individualized and so pass or fail oriented that it's pretty clear that you can see uh, what limiters that you might have. And uh, there's also a teaching element too. We're really educating people how to, how to uh, apply movements in the directions that they're, they're intended and how forces get transferred from deep inside the pelvis and, and, uh, so I don't think there'd be any dangers. We do often, though, um, like for me, I have a physical therapy uh, team for upper level or more chronic issues. I mean, this isn't a, a physical therapy book. It's a movement book. Mm-hmm. And it's one that helps coaches and athletes really identify and individually target exercises and that's the other side of it is if if you just kind of generally go off and do stretching for example uh, how do you know if your hamstrings or adductors or your back extensors or hip flexors are tight or hypertonic or or hip extensors are weak and also what type of abdominal exercises are you doing which are more the lo- what we talk about at length are local stabilizers versus global mobilizers. And a lot of this is uh, important to learn because you want to have very local stability, those deepest layered muscles at the joints. And people have heard about the transverse abdominis, the multifidus, the pelvic floor muscles. And what we're doing is we're educating by delivering principles for coaches and athletes to take their own unique ideas and concepts and build them upon the principles in in this book. And that was really my goal, and hopefully I've done that. So I guess um, the book, it's kind of... 
there's a lot of um, you know strength training books out there, and you see lots of pictures of everybody in the gym doing, you know, or doing all their different exercises. But I guess, am I right? And you, in this book, you're trying to sort of encapsulate doing, you know, your core stability work along with actually, I guess, some flexibility work and actually understanding movement patterns and being become a bit more aware of what you're doing rather than just say, right, everybody do uh, some core exercises each week and you'll be absolutely fine. Yeah, that's the shift. Uh, that's, that's, uh, I'm glad you put it that way because that's the shift I'm talking about. It's that individualization principle and then providing the tenets of what are the local stabilizers? What are those deepest muscles closest to the joints that need to be trained? And how, are, how is that done? And then, because there are a lot of people in the gyms and a lot of videos and a lot of articles and a lot of more uh, generalized recommendations that tend to train larger muscles, those more superficial muscles, that produce torque, but they don't produce stability. Mm-hmm. And that's the educational part of it. It's making sure that people have those local stabilizers, which actually are the ones that are always firing first, and they hold us against gravity, if you will. And the book is trying to teach people these basic foundations, these basic tennis principles so that then they can say to their athletes, okay, you should be doing these scapular exercises or or these pelvic exercises or these particular movements, but not those. I like to use yoga for an example because people will go in and do very complex uh, stretches and movements, but some of those are contraindicated for some people especially the differences between the anatomy of women and men. There's limb-leg differences and all types of things. Over time, I think you'll see more individualization. But, you know, it really comes back to educating what are the principles. And then what I like to do, and I think what you meant to ask me too, is that we're coupling. We're coupling uh, stability, mobility, flexibility, with technique and the technique these three chapters on swimming cycling and running i like to think could be books into themselves where they too are principle based and you know there may be some agreement or disagreement on what our principles are but we provide a system of assessing and progressing those patterns but also coupling it with the mobility and stability training for those of people you know, like who don't really even understand what a stabilizer is, can you maybe just talk um, through that point and then why it is important for a triathlete? Yes, um, they're basically three stabilizing systems. There's the local stabilizers; those are kind of like uh, what we call single joint muscles that are like closest to the joints, and they are um, like the postural muscles that. They're holding the spine and the pelvis uh, against uh, motions and gravity and so forth. And, and uh, it, one thing is, is it's the pelvis, parts of the sacrum, bear about 60% of your weight when you're standing. And so 
if 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 it's not efficient or the system isn't capable of absorbing and transferring that load, which is, if you think about it, absorbing and transferring is what triathletes or endurance athletes are doing, whether it's swimming, cycling, and running. They're, they're pushing on the pedal, they're catching, holding the water, or they're transferring load across the pelvis for running. And that's, I mean, you started off with Javier Gomez. I mean, you look at the stability of him when he's running, or, or some of the other athletes as well. That's what they're doing. They're, tra- they're absorbing and transferring load more efficiently. And in the book, we're trying to help people identify and then teach how to use those local stabilizers, which it's interesting. There are some really nice methods of teaching people how to move their legs without moving their legs learning how to make that movement from the core, deep layered multifidus muscles. So those are your local stabilizers. Then you have your global mobilizers, which are more intermediate muscles. They're a little larger superficial and they help maintain your posture and so forth. And uh, they work across, uh, rather than single joints, they work across multiple ones. And they help maintain your center of mass. And they don't use as much energy uh, and uh, and then the, finally there's the global mobilizers and those are the ones that are the larger ones they're the multiple joints and they give you the speed they torque the force and the power acceleration and things like that and they assist in load and, and all that And uh, but if the stability and efficiency of the local stabilizers aren't in place then the global mobilizers will take over and they fatigue quicker. And and for me, if you take like an example of watching the Ironman and, and things like that, uh, you can see like the second and third and fourth and fifth, sixth place people overall, they're, they're, they tend to, their technique oftentimes becomes a little less effective, a little less efficient. And it may very well be that those global mobilizers are are overtaking as opposed to having more stability in the local stabilizers. Boy, I sure hope I explained that well. No, no, you did a good job. Um, I, what was I going to ask? Um, I guess one, it must be frustrating for you, for you because to, t- to, to, to work on a lot of this, these movement patterns and a lot of the you know local stabilizers, etc., a, a lot of those exercises are not necessarily particularly strenuous and um, for triathletes when they want to do a workout they want to feel like they're pushing themselves so if they're doing say a core routine or go to a core class they want to feel at the end of that that they're you know they've had a good solid workout they can feel their big muscle groups they've had a good workout the next day they might be feel a little bit sore but working some of those smaller groups, some of those stabilizers, I guess they're not going to have the same level of fatigue, uh, and it must, it must be very difficult for you to get across to some people, right, if you do this, you are actually going to be faster, even though you're not fatiguing yourself significantly. Well, I could hardly put the question more effectively, and I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, this type of work is not sexy, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I understand it's not a power meter or a $12,000 bike. 
a new set of disc wheels or watch. It's not data-driven. And that's really kind of where I, I believe that a lot of triathletes are data-driven, intensity-driven. And, you know, I've, I've watched videos of several top triathletes doing core work and then complaining of back pain. And that's, in my view, partly responsible or they're training these global mobilizers. It really is a, a shift in thinking. It's, it's interesting if you have local stability, then mobility enhances and the capacity for efficiency improves. And I, I think that that's a, a principle that if people, coaches primarily, could, and I think in part two, the magazines could stop putting out these generic types of training programs. Yeah. It really does a disservice. And um, I mean, there are some great coaches. I've spent time with them and they are doing their best to try to develop the principles of individualization. But at some point, and I think you said the word, it is kind of frustrating to sit back here and, 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 and watch a lot of very generic kind of information go out that can help, can be helpful in some ways, but for the, for the recreational athlete, the neophyte athlete, the competitive, the uh, professional, across the board, if you have stability and you do these local stabilizers, not high intensity or larger superficial muscle, high productions of forced exercises, um, you're going to get better. You're going to have more stability and more mobility, which when you couple that with improving your technique, I think you're going to have much more satisfaction, much fewer uh, overuse injuries and much less compensation. Um, you know, there's a lot of great examples of, of people doing those kinds of exercises that you're speaking of and still don't have the, um, you know, that deep layered core work that, no, it doesn't provide that stimulus but when you start sitting and standing and walking and your posture starts to feel different in your regular daily life, then, you know, you, you can certainly think that it's going to improve your performances. You, um, you mentioned uh, the idea of loading and unloading when you swim, bike, running. Do you want to give us a bit of detail on that? Yeah, I really like that aspect of this whole process. And I, I love teaching how to take this knowledge of... The, of Low transfer, which is basically the pelvic area is where all your stability, if you have that there, then we, we, that is what's called a proximal, your proximal stability. And so that's your, those closest to the pelvis. And if you, if you will, if you could sort of imagine an inverted pyramid from the top or the center of your pelvis up through your spine, that's what it would look like kind of like a, a building at the top and then a big base at the bottom. What we do is, like for example in swimming, I love teaching people how to work from, from uh, inside to outside. And the way we do that is we relax cervically, thoracically, shoulders, trunk, pelvis, 
uh, and feet, I'm sorry, femoral and feet, and then we, we make our first activity as they're pushing off the wall, their first moments of delivering forces comes from just to the sides of the belly button, and that's, that's that innermost deep core level. And what you'll see is the athlete will lengthen their stroke, they'll narrow their hips so there won't be a lot of lateral movement, and then they will feel more efficient and and the same thing can be said on cycling we teach people how to deliver first and foremost from the pelvic area to the limbs so we take what energy we have in the spine transfer it to the legs or arms and that is what you see in good athletes you uh, interestingly enough to me it doesn't look like uh Gomez is running hard. Mm. Mark Allen never looked that way. Mm. Um, Some of the other greats, you watch them run, and it's if you if you look at the pelvis, it looks like they're just exploding and delivering this energy from a very stable place. Miranda Carfry, some of the ITU girls are just fantastic to watch, and they're they're interesting to watch over time. Um, Sarah Groff is an example I've watched over the last few years and been been able to chat with a little bit, not about coaching per se, but just some other elements of of, of training. But but you watch her stability and in the pelvic area, and that's really what I see. And then the limbs become more re- relaxed. The less tension in the hands, the fingers, the feet, the toes. And, and that's what you see in the great athletes. You see that, that innermost stability, and they might be doing it just more or less as a congenitally, if you will, but, but we can teach people how to do that. And, and that really is, is an exciting thing to help coaches do, uh, help, you know, their, help coaches teach their athletes better to utilize this these deeper layered uh, muscles, but also train them properly. So for, for your average age grouper, you know, we've talked about some of the pros there, you know, obviously Gomez, Carfrey, et cetera, you know, they move beautifully. And But for, for your average Joe Bloggs, who's, you know, um, a middle-of-the-pack Ironman athlete and they're, you know, maybe running a, I don't know, a four-hour to four-and-a-half-hour marathon or it's, let, let's say anywhere from three-and-a-half to four-and-a-half-hour marathon, um, how do their movement patterns, how are they going to differ from, say, trying to simulate what Gomez is doing in the way that he runs? Or, or if we put it in Ironman context, how, say, a young Fredino or um, Sebastian mm. Keenlay runs. You know, they're going yeah. to move quite differently. They're going to, you know, a, an average age grouper is not going to have um, all that, that years of repetition that those guys are going to have. So I guess my question is, should they be looking at people like Gomez as to what they aspire to, or should they be looking at something else? Well, I think, you know, Carfry and Gomez and, and several others are the model uh, for which, you know, all of us can aspire to. Um, the reality is, is that a lot of people are sitting at a desk and, uh, you know, they don't have, you know, the, the extensive backgrounds that some of these people do. Um, the, 
the exercises, the tests, and the remedies could very well be more effective for for those populations of athletes, uh, mm. just in general. Uh, but I wouldn't say that uh, that there anything that's overactive or underactive or less or more efficient is is. Uh, uh, it's what we do. I mean, these are principles. So I, I think across the board for any any spectrum or any level of athlete, um, you know, I think I think you're going to see more bang for your dollar in the recreational to in in those levels of athletes that you describe if they can buy into the fact of improving that local stability, that local stabilizer stability learning how to transfer that load a little more effectively to the limbs as opposed to using the limbs. Um, I think across the board it would be, you know, something that, that would be useful for, for every population of athlete. So if you were to have an athlete come to you now or, or, um, or to pick up this book, how much time do you think they need to be dedicating to this? Uh, you know, obviously everybody's got to train their cardiovascular system to be fit enough to, to do these events that we're training for, half Ironmans, Ironmans, etc. Um, how much time do you think people need to really dedicate to this in terms of starting to see some gains whilst balancing their desire to be out there and swim, swim biking, running as much as they can? Well, it really just starts with the assessment. You know, every test and exercise that we have helps each athlete and or coach identify which areas are weak, inflexible, strong, and then parse down to what might be the most important for them to work on, for example, during a particular phase. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty much impossible for us to do everything. Mm-hmm. But what what these tests can do uh, very quickly, you can evaluate through these tests that we have um, what needs to be remedied and what imbalances, if they do exist. What are the what are contributing to their inability to have better alignment swimming? I mean, you know, we all see it you know you you have a swimmer who crosses over the midline or during the uh during their catch their scapular is elevated or something well what if we targeted just those exercises um like they do in base training or build training or you know we all have different names for the periodizations but my point is is you make the the tests don't take that long the remedies take time, hmm. but maybe they could identify a few during each phase that they could work on. And the beauty of this system, and I think something I'm pretty proud of, is what I call this ACES progression, where it's, it's an acronym for accurate, controlled, effortless, and smooth uh, progressions of exercises or the tests but also technique. So rather than saying generically, well, do four sets of 10 and see me in three weeks, we tell you during stage one, you're going to do 
maybe 20 to 30 reps, three sets, four to five times a week until you pass the uh, qualities or the contents of that test. And each one of the tests that we have are pass or fail. Your cervical, scapula, thoracic, pelvic area is being examined and you, the coach or athlete can pretty easily see whether they're passing or failing. You might just pick one exercise, you might have two or three depending upon your time, but the coach and athlete could pick which areas of imbalance that they want to work on. Nice. That's um, good stuff. Is there any, anything else you want to get across uh, about the book um, that we haven't sort of covered already? Obviously, we have got to tell people where they can get it, but uh, um, anything else you want to go over? Well, I think the I, – first of all, I appreciate the, the opportunity to be on your show and, and you know, just start the discussion about um, placing movement and technique together as the foundation – for that very important data or volume and intensity and frequency component of training. I just appreciate that opportunity to, to talk with you, know, you guys and your athletes that are listening about thinking about performance being enhanced through this solid or more, more comprehensive foundation of movement and stability. It really is the the nexus, I believe, of of everybody's um, opportunity to improve their performances. Awesome, awesome. So, got, so it's um, the books by Human Kinetics. Um, where, where can people get it if they want to get a copy? Well, you can get it, of course, uh, on Amazon.com, and um, Human Kinetics also sells it, but. Just about everybody can get it on on Amazon.com. Great. Awesome. And your own personal site, if people want to get in touch with you about um, more personal help or have queries or questions, where can they find you? Well, I'm shifting from coaching into education. I'm now at MarkEvansEnduranceEducation.com and where we're working with both athletes and or coaches. And eventually, down the line, we may even think of having a school for coaches where we teach them how to do all the things that we're talking about here today. Awesome. awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Mark. I know you've been uh, you know, you're passionate about this. You've been involved in the sport for a long time. You've got good old Melina on the back of your book and Carl and Pike Nielsen, who are both uh, good friends of the show. So thanks heaps for your time. And, yeah, guys, uh, get on here and learn how to move a little bit better. So thanks for your time, Mark. Thanks a lot. Awesome, mate. Thank you. Jumbo, your thoughts? It was good, you know. Um, it's a bloody hard thing to do to do the stuff that doesn't make you hurt. And that's one of the reasons I asked that question is, you know, doing all these small things that you can't actually see, you know, you don't feel like you've done a workout. Sometimes they're things that get dropped off. But I'm all in on this, you know. Um, learning how you move I think is key. And I'm always big on people doing running drills. I use the striding on drills. Um, and just in terms of creating a 
A, you've got to work on your weaknesses, which is what Mark's been talking about going through those tests, you either pass or fail, but also trying to start to generate some some spatial awareness about what your body's actually doing when it's when it's moving, uh, rather than just going out there and hammering yourself into the ground. So good step, uh, nice big book, it'd take a while to work your way through it, but I think it's definitely something we should all take attention. Well I think the other thing to, add to hear is also injury prevention, like a lot mm. of injuries come from muscle imbalances, so if you can identify those balances, do work on the side while you're doing all your other training, you're going to move safer as well, which is an important aspect. You know, if you get injured, you're not going to be doing much training. So, As I well know. As Jombo well knows right now. Um, I've got to do my rant of the week. Oh, do you want to do it before sponsor? Just quickly. Okay, John, give me a rant. I'm, I'm, I'm I have just, to admit, I did read this and think, is this for real? Yeah, so yesterday I was online, I've got uh, an athlete racing at Ironman Arizona, and I was trying to think, oh, what's the, the, the start they do there? Because we're having all these different sorts of swim starts, some are mass starts, some yep. are time trial starts, wave start so I was just trying to find it so it's just looking through the the athlete manual and I came across something in the swim that got me frustrated now but do you think this is for real or just a this typo? is for real wow because I underlined what annoyed me so under the swim section swim goggles snorkels bold underlined by me or face masks may be worn. Any athlete using a snorkel will not be eligible for age group awards, including Ironman World Championship slots and roll-down slots. What the hell do you need a snorkel for when you're swimming in an Ironman? If you can't swim the distance, if you need a snorkel, bang it off and do something else. It seems seems like it's a mistake. Like, surely they're not letting people use snorkels. They are, but you can't go to Kona if you qualify with a snorkel and you can't get an award. You don't need a bloody snorkel. If you can't swim, go and learn to swim. I know that the snorkels are great. They're a good tool for doing drills and what have you. A snorkel for drills? Get to bloody swim. It just uh, got can, can me someone wrong. who was at the race let us know if anyone well, was Arizona's using... coming up this weekend. Oh, is this for Arizona? I think this will become a generic rule across America. I don't know whether it will roll out worldwide. But you think this yanks a, a week? <laughs> You don't need a bloody snorkel. You don't need a snorkel. If you ah, first stop dumbing down our sport, if people can't swim, go and do a beginner try and come back when you can. Yeah, I agree, John. I agree. I think this is ridiculous. 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 Anyway, we've got to push Pet on. deserve to rent. Bevan's going to the races. We've got to push on. Okay, uh, extreme endurance. Extreme endurance. Sponsor. Clinically proven to reduce your lactic acid by 15%. Speeds you, you up your You know what, John? Recovery. When you use extreme endurance, you don't actually need a snorkel? You don't. <laughs> so. Yeah. And in fact, if you use a snorkel in a race, you're not allowed to use extreme endurance. I'm <laughs> yeah. making that rule right here and right That's now. Brutal. Speeds up your recovery, improves aerobic threshold with double digits, John, benefits within John, can I, can I, can I, can I make an, a, a, a change to the show? Yeah. Didn't think discussion week was amazing this week. Let's do a discussion week around the snorkel. <laughs> you can add that in. Well, you can add in your rant if you want. Just okay, post add your rant around the snorkel. Just... If, you, if you're in that race and you see somebody with a snorkel, pull over and put your thumb over the top of it. <laughs> oh, John, you <laughs> can't do that. I love doing that when you're a kid. You see somebody. You, you were that kid, weren't you? You were that kid. Oh, it's hilarious. Oops, I spat all over the microphone. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> benefits uh, of extreme endurance within 72 hours, reduces muscle soreness and certified drug-free, which is a key point. If you haven't tried extreme endurance before, prices is it's $42.95 to $44.95 depending on whether or not you're on recurring delivery. If you do go on the recurring delivery, it is obviously cheaper. So get on it. If you're using the .com site, use the pro- promo code IMTALK, uh, IMTALK5, you get five bucks off. If you're Kiwis or Aussies, uh, I've got my next shipment hopefully are sitting
something on my doorstep when I get in. I've run out, it's been so popular, uh, but I should have a nice stock now for the rest of summer. So check it out, xendurance.com. Okay, Jombo, let's not do questions and answers. We'll save them to next week. Yeah. Um, gossip. Oh, sponsors. Coffeesofway.com. Um, it's good for your running. Extreme endurance. It's good for your running. Athlinks.com. good. You can tell everyone about how good your running's been. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, John, your phone is going nut bar. I Belinda. Belinda. Yep. Belinda. Oh, yeah. No plasterers yet. Oh, dear. Okay. It's not good. Kitchen's happening, is it? Yeah, yeah. She's even got the, you know, she's the explanation mark. She's, yeah. she's not happy about this. Were they meant to be there before they went to school? Yeah. And crashed into our neighbour's car there yesterday. Oh, no, that's not good. No. <laughs> what happened? Uh, they were just pulling in and uh, scraped down the neighbour's car. Anyway, yeah, then we've got some serious third world problems at my place. Tell us about it. Firstly, I've been sick. I was sick most of last yeah, week. I only got it. back training yesterday so had basically a week with nothing I was just frustrating on top of that you stop training and you get injured so I've got got an injury and then I've got something else going on now sort of around my ankle because I haven't been doing any training so you get back into it you went too hard no just oh just your body's body's kind of given up and then dealing with uh tradies getting un getting unfit you know, it's like I was just swinging this morning I was like somebody said to me oh yeah yeah getting back into it you over you got you know getting fitness back and I was like well no my fitness is going to be really shit now because I've yeah. had a month off yeah, and I've done next to nothing and how's the weight no, going how's the weight no weight's probably about the only thing that is okay oh that's boring uh, there's no you know I haven't got any big plans at this stage and oh, it's just life's tough at the moment oh, and then I don't, do a hug? A, I don't have a kitchen do you, you know what, you, kitchen. Do you know what you can do John you can do Iron Man next you use the snorkel yeah <laughs> you'll be yeah, right exactly I'll be you don't have a kitchen We've got no kitchen, haven't had a kitchen for a week, won't have another kitchen for another two weeks, cooking off the barbecue. The plasters haven't turned up. The plasters haven't turned up. Doing our dishes in the laundry and the sink, you know, bend over. You're, you know, you're doing old school dishes, are you? actually doing them. Yeah, the dishwasher's out because the whole kitchen's out. <sighs> Life is tough. How are you surviving, Really, uh, well, the, it is a struggle. Wait, so you're going to not have another, another bloody kitchen for two weeks? Yeah. Yeah. That, that is a hassle. It is a hassle. It takes three weeks to put a kitchen in. Well, it's just what we've got going. Especially when the plaster's done, you know? Exactly. Why? Kitchens, the, the part of the joinery is going in tomorrow, maybe. Anyway, life's tough. I feel for you, mate. I feel for you. Yeah. But you got the races on Saturday. I have got the races on Saturday. You've got all Saturday. your bits on once. Boom. You've got your Flash Barker suit. Yep. I'm going to be... Hey, uh, John, you think... The forecast isn't very good. This is just... Life's the weather's just, gone to crap. It's just not a good place in my life right now. John... We're yin and yang, because you know what you're not you're in the presence of right now, John? Yang? Yep. Yeah. You can be yang. Uh, a world champion. Right. I am a world champion, John. Do you know that? Darts? Tiddlywinks? Oh, I'd love to be a world champion of darts. Back at this Bahrain <laughs> stuff, you'd be winning you're winning more than a million dollars if you do darts. Tell you what. No. Uh, went up to Auckland, had the uh, Les Mills trainer conference. So yeah. basically all the trainers around the world have conferences, and we have an Australasian, American, a European. Nice. And uh, at the trainer conference, John, they had a fitness challenge. Right. All around the world. I love those things. The Europeans, it was called the Grit Challenge, John, and it was basically a 10-minute workout that four people kind of did. Well, there was semis, there was quarters, there was, I mean, there was heats, semis. Right. yeah. We managed to get through to the final. Yeah. And we basically, the Europeans had done it, the Americans had done it. The Americans were in the lead, and they won, mm. they'd they done the final workout, the, they'd done it in 9 minutes 58 seconds. So is this, no, 8 minutes 59 seconds. It's a little like a CrossFit sort of challenge, kind it, it of. It very was, yeah, yeah, right. it was very much kind of toppy and balls out. So I actually had mine hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 
The Americans, and, and everyone thought no one could beat the Americans because Americans were pretty much like a minute and a half ahead of everyone else around the world. And they were kind of the, the people who everyone thinks are gurus in the in, the, in mm. Les Mills. Mm. So we turned up and everyone's like, oh, you know, good luck with beating the Americans. Jombo. Good. Beat them by a minute. Nice. Well, we didn't just beat them. We down them. And you know what? All the New Zealand teams beat the American team. Ah. Kiwis are hardcore. Nice. And we took it out. John, yeah. pressure was on me. So we, it was basically what they did is there was four different workouts. Each person in your team had to do one workout. And I was the last person in my team. Anchor man. Anchor man coming home. Pressure. And my first girl got a little bit behind. Second guy did great. Third girl did great. But I was about 30 seconds behind the person going into the last leg. Mm-hmm. Jumbo. Crushed it. You're in the presence of a world champion. Nice. That's what I'm saying. World champion, grit champion. There you go. Got to nice. get it tattooed on my back. Yeah. My forehead. Good. World champion. Good. It's the first time I've been a world champion. Good. Get your rings. Yep. I've got a ring. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 Lots of rings. So there you go. Anyway, Jumbo, um, I better fly because I've got to get to races. Sounds good. Iron Russ. I'm in. Don't train hard. Train smart. Kick You're in the presence of a world champion. There you go. <laughs> Feel real privileged. Here we go. <laughs>